I invite you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 4. That's what we'll be looking at today. I did not give you, I've been in the habit of giving you, for probably the last month or so, uh, an outline on a small piece of paper. I'm not going to do that for you today because uh, I've got basically two simple points. You could say it's one point, and that point is, or those points are, God is in control and you are not. That's the takeaway for today. I don't think anybody really needs to be convinced of that, but maybe we can reflect on it a little bit and find comfort in that truth. That God is in control and you are not. And it's a lesson that the great King Nebuchadnezzar learned in chapter 4 today, which we will see as we read God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Now Daniel 4, before I read this, begins with a proclamation or a letter, an open letter, that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, uh, has written himself. And he relates this uh, story to us. King, king Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip, it, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw in you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. 
Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived, it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king. You shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers and his nails were like birds' claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the, and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us this morning. A sense of helplessness is increasingly on the rise in our day and time. Financial frustrations, political frustrations, uh, the lack of moral compass in our country, 
All these matters and others can overwhelm us and make us feel helpless. All of these powers and issues are beyond our control. I looked up the term helplessness on the internet and one of the results caught my eye because it was a website that I actually have often used in the past and need to use it again because it has a nice calorie counter on it. Uh, But I use this as a health and well-being website. And there's a page on this website entitled How to Overcome Helplessness. And it was introduced by this statement. In order to reduce your sense of helplessness and become more self-sufficient, competent, and self-confident, you need to do the following self-help activities. I found that kind of funny. That the cure to a sense of helplessness was to become more, uh, more uh, to was was to help oneself. So, if you're helpless, how can you help yourself? That doesn't seem to make any sense to me at all. But as you read the article, uh, they make it sound reasonably attainable. And what followed in the article were a few easy steps to helping yourself. In fact, there were 17 easy steps to getting over helplessness. I'll just give you a few of them. One said, develop a new belief system that encourages you to recognize that being independent, competent, self-confident, and capable of helping, fixing, and changing yourself is healthy, desirable, and necessary. Okay? Build on your success at being an independent, freestanding self-helper and self-healer. So in order to get over helplessness, you need to help yourself and heal yourself. Parent your inner child by nurturing and self-loving and allow your inner child to grow to be a healthy adult by giving it the freedom to make a mistake or fail in its attempts to self-help. And here's my favorite one. Accept that it takes time, sometimes an entire lifetime, to fully rid yourself of a sense of helplessness. Now, if it takes an entire lifetime to get rid of helplessness, then what you're saying is there's really no cure for this sense of helplessness at all. Just death is going to be the time when you can be free of this sense of helplessness. Well, there are obviously 17 of them... uh, you know, one said, have a farewell party or wake for the old you who was wrapped up in self-pity, self-doubt, and self-abasement. Really, they're just ignoring the problem. I will give them this. One of the, one of the uh, points of advice was to call upon your higher power to give you the courage, strength, and persistence necessary to gain self-sufficiency to cope with your life. So basically, you're, you're asking the higher power Uh, to help you become self-sufficient so you don't need the higher power anymore. That way you don't don't have to call upon him if you're self-sufficient. Well, of course I don't agree with any of these things that this website, uh, this advice this website has given us. As we think about this book of Daniel, and particularly this passage that we're coming to today, uh, think about those who would have been the original recipients of this book, the people who would have first read the book of Daniel. 
It was possibly people living in Babylonia or Persia during Daniel's lifetime or right after. Most likely it was those returning from, uh, from exile to their homeland and they were faced with all the difficult circumstances of rebuilding their city, rebuilding the Jerusalem, rebuilding their land, and coping with all the negative circumstances that came along with that. Well, we know that this book of Daniel... Uh, has continued to be appropriate through the generations because God's people have always faced living in difficult situations and hostile environments, including us. Well, the purpose of Daniel is to encourage the confidence of God's people in light of their helplessness before seemingly all-powerful human rulers and circumstances. Daniel is telling us, despite the circumstances, God is in control. Not any one person or group of people, nor any friend, nor enemy, not even the most powerful leader on the planet. God alone is the one who is in control. Three times in chapter 4, we are given this statement. The Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Nebuchadnezzar affirms in verse 35, All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful ruler on earth, and he was brought to his knees, literally, and he was able to affirm that he's not the boss, he's not the greatest king, God is. And if it's good enough for Nebuchadnezzar, it's certainly good enough for us. God is in control. The original audience of the book of Daniel was an oppressed people. The glory days of Israel under King David and King Solomon were a very distant memory from generations ago. And now they're a conquered people, struggling to survive, no longer autonomous and in control. Can you imagine what a comfort it would have been for them to read this account of how God humbled the most powerful man in their world to be reminded that God alone has the power to raise up and to cast down. Fate or even intentional evil may seem to have the upper hand against God's people, but the reality is God is in control. Now I was thinking about the Wizard of Oz. And you know that scene in the Wizard of Oz towards the end where Dorothy and her friends come back with the, with the wicked witch's broom and they appear before the great and powerful Oz and uh, they're very afraid until Toto, the dog, goes and grabs the curtain and, and exposes that really the man behind the curtain is the one who is acting like the great and powerful Oz. He says, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. They thought he was some all-powerful being, and it turns out it was only a man acting that way. Well, just the opposite is happening in Daniel 4. God is telling us to pay attention to the one who is behind the curtain, the one behind the scenes, the one who is in control of all things. He's not a mere mortal human being, but he's the Most High who rules the kingdom of men. Pay attention to him, not the so-called powers that be or not your circumstances. Look at this sovereign God. God's people are called to take comfort 
in this truth, whether they lived at the time of Nebuchadnezzar or at a later time in persecution or even today. Of course, today in Christians in certain parts has been in the news uh, frequently recently. Uh, they are being severely persecuted and oppressed for their faith. They would certainly find comfort here in the book of Daniel. We don't face that type of persecution, but you can tell that it's coming, that it's on the rise. Uh, so this is a passage that can give us comfort in the difficult days in which we live. So all Christians, including those who have unprecedented uh, freedom to exercise religion like we still do, understand that feeling of facing an obstacle that seems impossible to overcome. We all have experienced that, whether it's persecution or not. We all encounter enemies in our lives over which we seem to have no power. It may not be a King Nebuchadnezzar or political oppression, but there are other foes that we face that seem insurmountable. I'm sure every one of us has experienced a sense of helplessness that we don't have control over our over our own lives. Maybe it's a physical or a mental or emotional or spiritual or financial, relational, psychological or political problem. Might be a physical disability or a terminal disease or financial difficulty or family problems or a difficult marriage or the betrayal of a friend or a psychological disorder. Or maybe you're just upset with our current government. And the list goes on and on. These can all give us a sense of helplessness and we're wondering what's going on in the world. So the message of Daniel, especially Daniel chapter 4, is for all of us, not just the politically oppressed. No one escapes the frustrations and chaos of a world suffering from the effects of the fall. But despite these circumstances, God is in control. I don't understand how it all works I cannot explain why people suffer sometimes. The circumstances and events of our lives often seem unrelated to how things turn out in the end. But all things are part of God's ultimate plan and work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I know that the Bible tells us that God and his people will win in the end. When I was a kid, I loved to not to play the game of mousetrap, I don't know if you've ever seen the game Mousetrap. I just love to put it together. You know, you had all these little plastic pieces, uh, an old shoe, uh, a steel ball, a gutter, you know, a basket, uh, some wheels, uh, all different parts. And when you put it together, you know, what it was was a, a large mousetrap. But you kick this and it, the, the ball rolled down the gutter and then it hit the boot and the boot kicked something else and it, one thing went happened after another until the cage fell on the mouse. And I used to love to put that together and, and watch it work. I'm not even sure how you played the game. I just liked putting the thing together. But see, there's a lot of unrelated parts in our lives, things that don't seem to make any sense. But God has a plan. He's put it all together, and we know how it ends. The end is actually determined. God has a plan. He's in control. The world, the flesh, the devil, these things will not prevail. God and his people will prevail. You may be forgotten on this earth, but you will be remembered in eternity if you are God's child. If you're a Christian, 
Find comfort in that fact that the, your ultimate destiny is in God's hands, no matter what circumstances you're going through in this life. Not disease, not financial problems, all these difficulties, they'll go away one day. One day you won't have to deal with those things anymore. So God is in control. However, no one really likes this doctrine of God's sovereignty because it strikes at the heart of human pride. We like to feel like we're in control. We like to play God in our lives. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was in control, and he had a lot of evidence to tell him that it was so. Babylon contained two of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The first one was the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was so powerful that he constructed these Hanging Gardens of Babylon just so his wife wouldn't feel homesick. She was not from Babylon. She was from another part of the world. And so he constructed these gardens so she would have a place to go and, and could feel comfortable and reminded of her, uh, her, of her homeland. So, yes, he was a pretty powerful guy. The other, uh, seven, the other one of the seven wonders that, ne- that Nebuchadnezzar built was the Wall of Babylon. The outer wall of that city stretched for five miles and it had enough space on top for a four-horse chariot to turn around. So it wasn't just a skinny wall. A four-horse chariot could turn around and it's not like a zero-degree mower. You know, these things need some space. So it was a big wall, one of the great wonders of the world. And you can see why he would say, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? I would say that too if I had built all that stuff and had the power that he had. However, he only had an illusion of control because we see him reduced to nothing, to acting like an animal, eating grass, letting his hair grow and his nails grow. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. He boasted of the civilization that he had built, but then he's driven from it, and he goes to live like an animal. Now, not one of us here is as powerful as Nebuchadnezzar was, even if we think we are. But we do spend a lot of resources and time and energy giving ourselves the sense, the illusion that we're in control of our lives. We can give ourselves an illusion of control and security until our health fails or we encounter financial difficulty, we lose our job or we encounter relationship problems. The effects of the fall will catch up to every one of us eventually. And when, then we will die. There's a one in one chance of that. When we die, we'll not be able to take our money with us, and we will be forgotten in a couple of generations. I like to do genealogical research on my family, uh, though I'm not sure. My family's crazy, and maybe I'm just trying to figure out where it came from. But you read about these people. I've, done, uh, I've gotten back fairly far, uh, and, and you, you think about, and, and you know, there's. Uh, Cemeteries around where some of my family members are buried, I've never heard of them. I don't know anything about them. I don't know one, one anecdote from their lives. And whoever knew any anecdote from their lives, they're gone too. My great-grandfather, 
I cannot find out anything much about him. Everybody that knows anything about him has passed away. And, you know, all that he did in his life, we know a little bit about it, but just think, go back another generation or another generation, and you know less and less. And we think, you know, in our own lives that, hey, we're, you know, we're going to leave something for our posterity and, you know, our memories are going to go on forever. But no, they're not. They're going to be, we're going to be forgotten in a very brief, relatively brief amount of time. We scamper and fight and claw to find security and significance in this life to control our destiny. And then we die, and in a few generations, all our efforts are nothing. You're not in control. God is in control. It's prideful and arrogant to think otherwise. We would all do well to heed Daniel's exhortation to the king. Therefore, verse 27, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So Daniel basically turns to Nebuchadnezzar and says, you should repent. You should turn from your sins and turn to the Lord. And that's great advice for us who live in this day and age, uh, who long for control to repent of our pride. We're not God. Lay down our, uh, our, our illusions that we are in God's and that we are in control and turn to the Lord and say, you're the king, you're in control. I guess the question is, do we trust the Lord? You know, if you're going to put your life in somebody's hands, you've got to trust them. So it comes to be a matter of trust. Is God trustworthy? Well, of course I'm going to say yes, but let me give you some, uh, one big reason. All you've got to do is look at the difference between Nebuchadnezzar and Jesus. Nebuchadnezzar was a mere man who glorified himself as if he were a god. Uh, he was a mortal who took on divine heirs. And he's addressed in chapter 2 as the king of kings, actually. You know, if people go around telling you you're the king of kings, that might go to your head. And I think it went to his head. So here we have a mortal who took on divine heirs. In Jesus, on the other hand, you have the true King of kings and Lord of lords. He is God, yet he humbles himself and he takes on humanity. He's moving in the opposite direction from Nebuchadnezzar. So on the one hand you have a human who takes on divine heirs, but on the other you have a God who takes on humanity. And why did he do that? You and I have three enemies in our lives. We have three enemies in this hostile environment in which we live. We have the broken world in which we live, which has been cursed and is subject to death and decay. We have our own flesh, which because of our sin nature is allied against God, naturally. And then we have Satan and the forces of evil that are allied against God's people. So the world the flesh, and the devil. These are our enemies. On the cross, God himself, the Most High, took on humble, uh, humbled himself, took on human flesh, humbled himself to the point that he allowed his creation to torture and kill him. He subjected himself to the justice that was due to us sinners on the cross. And in doing so, he whipped all of our enemies the world, the flesh, and the devil. 
He conquered sin by paying for it on the cross. He conquered Satan and evil when he died there. Satan is an accuser. And when a person is in Christ, there's no longer any accusation that can stand against them. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Satan is disarmed. He has nothing to say to us. He conquered sin. He conquered Satan. And then he conquered the last enemy, death, by rising up from the dead. Now if someone came into your life and paid off all your debts and then gave you a million dollars, a new home, a new car, paid for all the insurance, and you were told repeatedly that it was done solely out of love and concern for you, they just wanted you to be burden-free, would you trust them? Or would you say, I don't really want all that stuff. I want to keep my debt. I don't trust you. Well, that would be a dumb thing to do. Jesus Christ alone is the King of Kings who laid aside his power for a time to save people like you and me. If you trust him, then you can rest in the fact that this benevolent God wants to give you all things. Not money, but something much greater than that. Something lasting, something eternal. He's this benevolent God. He's in control. You're not. So lay it down. Lay down that sense of control and rejoice in his control in your life. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can trust this sovereign King of kings who is in control of all things. Let's pray together.